You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Mark chapter number four. As we continue in our series entitled Jesus from the book of Mark. Jamie, can I get a little bit of volume, just a little bit here, so I can hear myself here? Mark chapter number four, because I like to hear myself, just kidding. It is, it is very helpful as a speaker to be able to, uh, to, to hear yourself. Mark chapter number four, I hope you all had a wonderful week, and I hope that you are enjoying your weeks of summer and uh, the warmer weather, the longer days. Uh, take, take full advantage of those. I mean, enjoy, enjoy your family. Some, make some wonderful memories. In Mark chapter number four, our message is going to be from the verses 21 down through 34, but I'm only going to read a few verses here, and then throughout the message, we'll just break down uh, these, different, these different verses. Let's pick it up in verse number 21 of Mark chapter number four. The Bible says, and he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed. And so if you were to kind of take that into uh, today's vernacular, you know, we would like a, a lamp of some kind. You would, never, you would never take a lamp. You wouldn't bring it into a dark room and just, and kind of just, and just hide that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put it under a bed or behind a couch or something like that. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not for him shall be taken even that which he hath. And this morning I want to look at three parables here. Starting in verse number uh, 21 and preach a message entitled Confusion on Our Journey. Confusion on Our Journey. You and I, as we're walking through this life, there will be a lot of, a lot of confusion. And I believe Jesus Christ speaks into that here via these parables. So let's have a, have a word of prayer one more time and ask God to bless this time. Lord, we come before you and uh, Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the privilege that you gave me this week to uh, to study it and to meditate upon it and to um, to just lean, to allow it to lean in on my life. And I ask, Lord, that as you have crafted this message in my heart and put it on paper, that, Lord, we would have gathered here this morning hungry and uh, desiring to learn. As we, as we learned several weeks ago when we were uh, back in this study, even before our anniversary, that, uh, God, it does matter what type of heart we bring to the service today what type of mentality and mindset we have to uh, the next 30 minutes or so as we look into your word. And I pray that we would be hungry. I pray that we would be soil, a heart that is just prepared to to learn. And Lord, that would be myself as well. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have full reign in my heart to prick me, Lord, where, uh, where, where you need to in my life as well. And God, I pray that, Lord, you'd be glorified 
and everything that's said and done throughout the remainder of the service. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you, as I often do, to open up a message, to be honest with yourself, to, uh, to give yourself a moment of just complete honesty. And I want you to, in your heart of hearts, try to answer this question. Are there times when God confuses you? Are there times when He confuses you? Are there moments when if you were honest this morning, you would have to say that you struggle with doubt? You struggle with your faith. Is there ever a time when it seems like what you are doing in the name of God or in the name of Lord, in the name of the Lord is not, is not making much of a difference? Now you and I, we ought to be able this morning to be honest about the struggle of faith. And the reason why is because Scripture surely is. And as I was, as I was reading and I was chewing on this text, just kind of just like meditating on it, that's what that word meditate literally means. It's the picture of kind of a cow that has multiple stomachs and they just chew on that food and that, and that grass kind of over and over again. And as I uh, was doing that, I started on Tuesday kind of just uh, chewing on it, I, I thought of these parables and I thought, I thought of a few maybe... I don't know if you'd call them famous. I think everybody in the Bible, every, it all points to Jesus. But, you know, some well-known names uh, in Scripture that would, have, that would have struggled with some of this. I think one of those being Elijah. Uh, Elijah was one of those great prophets of God, and uh, he had a stunning moment of doubt uh, in, in his own life. Uh, if you've studied Scripture, if you've been in church in any length of time, you know the story. Uh, Elijah, uh, he went up against, he, he challenged the uh, 450 prophets of Baal to see which, which God was real, who could, who could bring fire down from heaven. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, they were, they were dancing before the Lord, they were, they, they were chanting, they were cutting themselves, and there was no fire. And so when it came time for Elijah's turn, he repaired the altar, the Bible says, and he put the sacrifice back on there, and he literally dug a trench around the altar, and he put several barrels of water over the sacrifice, and then literally filled up the trench, and of course he cried unto God, and we know the story of how the fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the very, the very rocks that made up the sacrifice, and all of the water that was around the altar. And you would think that something like that would bring this great, great revival in his heart, this great revival in Israel. Yet the next thing that Elijah faces is the threat from Queen Jezebel who said she's going to have his, uh, have his life um, taken in just a, in a short matter of time. And you read Elijah's prayer in 1 Kings chapter number 19. It says in verse number 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, is it, enough, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And so he's coming off of this amazing victory where he saw God come through because of his great faith to believe that God would. And then the very next day, Jezebel says, I'm going to 
I'm going to have you killed. And he's now gone over to the wilderness and he's praying. He's, he's got a great uh, just bout of, of discouragement. It says in verse number 10, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, which we know is not true. And they seek my life to take it away. This great bout of doubt. I think Mike just preached a message with some of that title on it. A great, a great struggle comes off of a wonderful victory. And now it's like, God, just, just, just take my life. Is this even worth it? Am I, am I the only one that's living for you in the day in which we live? And I also think of a man by the name of Moses. And Moses, if you were to kind of study his life and you'd come to, you'd come to Numbers 11, they're, they're in the wilderness. He's leading a group of former slaves who were uh, dissatisfied with the menu that God was providing each day. God was providing manna. It, was going, it literally was going to arrive every single day as they were wandering in the wilderness. And that manna was such a sign of God's covenant love that he had with them. In fact, it's such a stunning sign of God's provision that Jesus literally takes manna as his name. John 6 verse 50 says, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And so Jesus is he's, he's connecting himself to this, to this love, connecting himself to this manna. But, but Israel? Israel doesn't see it this way. They begin, to, they begin to think of Egypt. They begin to think of the leeks and the garlic and the onions and the fish and all of the things that, uh, that they had back in Egypt. And they begin to complain in Numbers 11. They begin to say how, you know what, all of those things, they didn't, they didn't cost us anything. We, we, we were able to eat with such, with such splendor. It didn't cost them anything. It's as if they almost thought Egypt was some kind of deli rather than, you know, like a slave workshop. I mean, every single day they were working there in Egypt and somehow they, they, they forgot that. It was a place of slavery. And so Moses, he's, he's, he's burdened down by all of this. The people are complaining. They've seen this amazing uh, act of God of bringing them out of Egypt, crossing over uh, the Red Sea on dry ground and now they're complaining because they have to eat manna every single day. And he can't believe what's happening. And let's look in on Moses' prayer. Numbers 11, verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? What are you doing? Why, why, why are you using these people to afflict me? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? Thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the suckling child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? He's like, these aren't my children. They're acting like children, but, but, but they're not mine. Why have you... Why have you placed this heavy burden on me? Verse 13, When should I have flesh 
to give unto all this people. For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, in other words, if this is your lot for me, he says, kill me. I pray thee out of the hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Oh, I can't handle this. God, why in the world are you bringing this into my life? Let's be honest. Life in this world can be confusing. It can flat out play tricks with your mind. Often in life, things do not work out the way that you and I would expect them to. And so these three little parables that we're going to look into this morning here in Mark 4, they are spoken by Christ to speak into the confusion, to speak into the, the questions that these dear men have those that have given their lives to follow him. I want you to think of a moment about the disciples. Let's kind of let's kind of review here. We've we've gone through chapter 1, we've gone through chapter 2 and 3 and now we're making our way through 4 and they've seen multitudes follow Christ. They've seen him just do a miracle after miracle and the things that they that they, they had seen that they must have been so confusing. Oftentimes Jesus Christ would he would depart from the crowds. You and I, we seek the crowds. We, we seek the accolades. And yet, Christ would remove Himself from them. And they, and, and they, they observed His very own family. His, his closest of friends reject Him. They say, you know, Jesus, he's, he's just mad. Let's, let's kind of let's get Him away. These things like, you know, what's going on? And now the religious, those that they would have looked to of being you know, kind of the spiritual ones, they were now plotting to have Jesus literally terminated and killed and so there's all kinds of questions and confusion that's going on they have no idea how all the well, what is going to go on in this story they don't have any idea that the one that they are following is going to be the lamb of god who is soon going to offer his life a sacrifice they could never have figured it out that this was the ultimate provision of god to provide for all of mankind and so christ he he begins to speak in these parables we looked at last or several weeks ago about all, all of these different types of soils and the responses. And now he speaks into this moment for them. And he actually is speaking into our confusion as well this morning. I think you can take these three parables and you can come up with three questions with them. Will I ever understand? Does my work really make a difference? And will the kingdom ever come? Am I ever going to understand? Is what I'm doing really worth it? And is the kingdom ever going to come? Let's begin to read in verse number 21. Words should be up on the screen there. And he said to them, Is the candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. Now I believe this, the, the, this first parable here, Jesus is actually talking about Himself. I believe He's talking about something that He initiated in His coming. 
that this really is, in my, in my opinion, a prophetic little parable. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, don't you realize the lamp has already come or the, the, the light has already come. He's the, he's, the, he's the light of the world. God has sent, if you'll allow me to say it, His, his light. God has sent His lamp into the world. And that is Jesus. And Jesus is the very, is the very, very word from God. This is Jesus in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom or all the treasures of knowledge, the book of Colossians tells us. This is the light of the world. And he is saying to his disciples, would it make any sense for God to send the ultimate light of lights and to keep him covered up? And then he basically says, for nothing is hidden except it be made manifest. Nothing is nothing's going to be secret. God is going to reveal everything to us. And that is God promising that this is the beginning of my revelation of the Gospel. Remember at the beginning of, uh, of the book of Mark, as Jesus literally says, the beginning of the Gospel. And He's saying here that God's going to continue that work until the truths of all the Gospel have been revealed. Surely this is a prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit when he was to come. Do you remember when Jesus, later on in his life, he's with his disciples in the upper room, and he says this to them in John 16, verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. There's a lot of things that you don't know yet that are going to be revealed to you that you just don't fully know yet. And if you continue to go through the context, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit of God has to come. Another comforter has to come. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to, he's going to, alight, he's going to be a light. He's going to illuminate what is hidden or what is needing to be manifested. And so this was a direct promise of the work of the Spirit that would come, that would open all the mysteries of the Gospel. And that is why we have Romans all the way through Revelation because God fulfilled this promise. The lamp, the light, Jesus brought His truth and through the Holy Spirit continued to teach and to teach and to teach and to teach. And now the deep mysteries of the Gospel, they're open to you. They're open to me. You even read the book of Ephesians and Paul begins to illuminate things that were non-revealed prior to Him. How the Jew and the Gentile, how they were one in Christ. Paul talks about in Ephesians 3 and how, how there's the angels that are seated in the heavenlies and they look down and they now see Jew and they see Gentile and they see them one in Christ. And, the, and, and Paul says this, and the, behold the manifold wisdom of God. Why? Because in the time of Jesus and even in the time of Paul's days, Jews hated Gentiles, and Gentiles hated Jews. And so now in Christ, there's this beautiful unity. Well, why do we have that? Because the Holy Spirit, from this moment, He's been teaching since He came later, but Jesus is saying, hey, I, I believe He's seeing I'm the light, and this all is going to be revealed. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and He's going to teach, and He's going to teach, and He's going to teach. What a beautiful thing. That you and I can sit here in 2019, some 2,000 years later, and we have an understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit that is pictured in this parable is the Spirit of Christ. 
He still operates and He still teaches the people of God. And God is not going to quit until all of His work is done. He's going to teach and teach and teach and teach. He's trying to teach you right now. He's trying to teach me throughout the week. He's trying to teach you throughout the week. As you open up the Word and as you study, He's illuminating the Scriptures. It is coming alive as you study it. Now how should you and I respond to this? This light that's no longer hidden. This light that is now in Christ and in the ministry of the Gospel shining forth. How should you and I respond to the illumination of the Gospel? The illumination of Scripture? You and I ought to listen and respond. Verse 23. And if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye mean. In other words, what you have received. To God be the glory, and we always desire to be, to be a biblically-based church where we, where we bring the Word of God. But listen, as you are brought the Word of God on a weekly basis, to whom much is given, much shall be who can finish it required, right? So that's Jesus saying here, that, that, that meat or what you receive, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that here shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he heareth. Again, this is the theme of Mark coming back again. It is active faith. It's a, I grab a hold of the understanding that I have now. I live on the basis of the Gospel. And as I do that, God continues to grow. He continues to teach. Listen, if you and I are just... Here just kind of as, you know, like just sponges and we're just, oh, it's, it's no effect. I'm here another Sunday. I'm here in another message. And it's not, it's not changing your life. Listen, that's not the gospel living forward in your life. It's not, it's not flowing from you. You and I, we should hear and it should bring about action. The one who uses it, they tend to mature. The ones that don't, they tend to stay the same. This day in and day out. It's just there's, there's no change in their life. The light has come. And the light will shine until we know, until we understand. And we know that day is not going to be until we fully get to heaven. But it's shining in the person of Christ. Now let's go to the next parable. Verse 26. And these do somewhat all tie in together. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And shall sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear. After that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle. Because the harvest is come. And so the first parable deals with the question of, am I ever going to fully understand? Yes. The Holy Spirit's going to continue to teach. Listen and learn and act. And you will understand. Next question would be, man, is, is, there any, is anything good coming of what I'm doing? I believe the second parable is a parable about, hear me, knowing your place. I was reminded 
of the first attempted vegetable garden that we planted in Pennsylvania. The key word being attempted. And uh, Danielle was just a little girl. I believe she was, she had just turned um, four. And so we were, uh, little did we know we were going to be getting a call from Redwood later that spring. But, you know, so she had just turned four and uh, spring had begin to uh, come into the air and so we had a little area there in Pennsylvania in our house where we decided that we wanted to plant a little garden and so we kind of got all the weeds out from the winter and the crabgrass and all that nasty stuff and we and we, we prepared the soil and as we began to pick out you know all different kinds of vegetables I can't remember exactly the one that uh, that, that I was having Danielle but we we prepared the row and Danielle put the seeds in there and we kind of, we covered them up and we gave a nice, you know, little, little nice coating of water there. And I told Danielle, again, she's four years old. I said, Danielle, there's going to come a day where, when, the, where, where the seeds that we just planted, that they're going to, they're going to spring forth and we're going to have a harvest of vegetables. We're going to, where we're going to be able to eat these vegetables. And so the next morning, I think it was even before she ate breakfast, she got dressed and she ran out there and she didn't see anything. And she comes back in and she's like, daddy, it didn't work. You know, the reality is, is that oftentimes you and I, if we're not careful, we we view the work of God as a little children in the garden mentality. You want the process of the gospel to be an event. We know the salvation. I, I get that. It's, it's an event. We trust Christ. But, but we, want, we want the sanctification process to be an event. And you struggle with that. If you are a husband in here, and you are, or whether you're a wife in here, you struggle with that in your marriage. You, you want just instant for that thing you know, uh, to, to, to be great. You struggle with that with your children. You struggle with that as you share the gospel with somebody. You struggle with that as you look at the church. You struggle with that as you look at the surrounding world around us. You and I, if we're not careful, we begin to wonder if this planting is actually doing anything. You know, this, the, the, this raising of my children, it's like it just it doesn't make any difference because we want it right now. You know, I told my, my son who is six, this is how I want you to be. And I just expect him to be that way for the rest of his life. I don't want to have to tell him four, five, six, seven hundred times, right? We want it to be a process. We want that marriage to be perfect. We want, you know, when we, when we witness to that person, you know, for it to be instant. The temptation is, and I want you to please hear me. You're listening well. I, I know it's hot in here, but these parables, they have something for us. If we're not careful, the temptation is to somehow manipulate the results. Maybe we should dig up the soil and massage the beans. Maybe we need to put more water and more water and more water. There's a lot of novice gardeners who drown their plants that's me right here little did i know that you know like you know we um everyone would give us oh i can't i can't even think of it but someone finally gave us a, a tool of of how to 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 save this one plant we would always kill it people would give us this plant they give it to sarah or someone and we would always kill it and they said no take two ice cubes put it on there and that's all the water it needs but we'd always be watering that thing and they would always die over watering it oh we, we we just need to we just need to water more we just need to as a church we just need to do more we just need to we just need to have more activities we just need to have a kids bible blast saturday every single saturday no we don't oh that would kill us my soul 
We did water kickball yesterday. It was awesome. First base was a pool. Second base was a pool. Third base was a pool. And to get to home, you had to go down the water slide. I mean, it was awesome. You know, we can't do that every Saturday, all right? Actually, we could. We'll do it this Saturday. It'd be great. Mike, cue it up. We'll be ready for it. But no, let's just do more. No, not necessarily. There's a tendency to be this way, even with a church. To have, you know, these results centered. Maybe we need something to attract people a little bit more, you know, for the gospel. Maybe we're not instilling enough fear or enough guilt. Or maybe if the gospel could be given by some famous person, then people, they'd listen. Maybe, maybe cooler music. Listen to me. There's nothing wrong with a modern song. Behold the wondrous mystery. I challenge you, that is a new song. I challenge you to go through the words of that song. That is so biblically accurate. It is beautiful. I was watching Facebook Live this morning to, to another church, and they sang a song out of a hymn book. I was like, that is the most unbiblical thing I've ever heard. So listen, it can be great even though it's new. Oh, man, that was so weak. Thank you, Mike. It can be great even though it's new. And it can be bad even though it's old. You didn't believe me so much. You didn't listen to the song. I get it. It's fine. But listen, should we have a famous person like Dwight Tomlinson come in here? He's famous to me. He's awesome, 45 years. All that stuff is good. But if that's what we're looking to for the metrics, listen, we have forgotten our place. Let me give you our place. Plant. And what it says here about the farmer is actually really very humbling for me. It says that he goes to sleep, wakes up, goes to sleep, wakes up, and then someday, boop! And it says he doesn't even know how it happened. That's humbling as a leader who wants to be able to say, hey, this is why this happened, and this is, no, and God says, no, no, I want you to realize, just keep planting Just keep doing what we are supposed to be doing. Once you've planted that seed, you have done your job. Now, I'm not saying that we just forget somebody. I I, I get that. We continue to have a relationship with that person. But listen, everything else ultimately belongs to the Lord. Why is it sometimes that someone will respond and another person right next to them will not? Why is it that someone's Someone's growth seems to be so rapid. There's some people, and don't you try to figure out who this is unless the Holy Spirit says it's you. There's some people in our church, man, they're growing like weeds. Every single thing, they're, they're just soaking it up, and it's great. And then others like, yeah, yeah. Why is that? I believe that goes back to three weeks ago when we talked about the different types of hearts of soil that we bring into a service. Don't just make it lost and, and, and saved. Don't do that. You and I, we can have all four of those types of soils on any given time the Word of God is taught, preached, or even you are reading it for yourselves. So why do some grow so rapidly and others seem to grow so slowly? Why is it there are some churches that seem to explode with growth in numbers and others remain small? These are the mysteries of the kingdom of God, Ryan. Mike, us leadership. These are the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Where you and I, yes, we want it. But we just got to keep planting. Keep planting. We good? Doing all right? It's hot. 
All right, I'm going to move on here because I'm going to skip over some stuff. Let's just plant and plant and plant and plant. Let's leave the results up to God. Amen? All right, let's go to the next section. Verse number 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare? Is it like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that are in the earth? But when is it sown, it grow but when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. The disciples, hearing the message of the kingdom of God, were convinced that the final kingdom was right around the corner. And the way you know that is is when you look into the other Gospels, you listen to the conversation of the disciples. They thought that it was happening right at that moment. And they struggled with the smallness of the group that would have been around Jesus at this time. Now remember why the crowds were even coming to Jesus in the first place. They were coming to Jesus because they heard of His great power. They wanted to be healed. They were there for the benefits. A lot of people come to church for the benefits for the kids' ministry, for the teen ministry. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have those things. But listen, for the benefits. And so they were coming to Jesus for the benefits. And then the teachings began to get hard. The teachings began to talk about how, you know, when you eat my flesh, what? Started talking about the repentance that the gospel would call to. The humility that the gospel is calling you to. And the crowds would just disperse. The religious crowds wanted to kill him. His family literally was rejecting him. All of these things were a great confusion to the disciples. And you and I, if we're not careful, we're tempted to think, is this it? Is this this the kingdom? Is this just how it's going to be? You and me and no more? natural. Maybe you felt that way. You know, if you look around the Bay Area and you watch television, if you listen to the news, does it look like the kingdom is just gloriously expanding here? Uh, No. Less than 4% of our area even darkened a door of any kind of church this weekend. And so what happens is, is it's so easy to say, well, is it just us? This is it. This little band of people, this is it. And Jesus said, let me tell you something. Out of this, out of this small band, out of this, out of this group of men and women early on, these early disciples, these men and women, literally they were going to take the gospel and they were going to turn the world upside down for Christ. Literally from every single continent, people from every single color, nation, nationality, language, they were going to hear the gospel. And it's so beautiful to read about the future when John tells us in the book of Revelation that every tribe, every kindred, every tongue is going to be represented around the throne singing, worthy is the Lamb. And he was trying to tell them, yeah, it's small right now, but you've got to take your eyes off of just you. And you've got to see that that seed turns into something beautiful. Never diminish your impact of you sowing. Ever. And you pray for me that I don't, because I do it almost every Monday morning of my life. Almost every Monday morning of my life, Satan will jump up on my shoulders, and he'll say, oh, that was weak. You know, whatever he says to me, listen, it is not in vain as the Word of God, and I pray that it is illuminated in a fashion that is glorifying to Him. Jesus is saying to His disciples here, He said, listen, 
from this little mustard seed is going to come a tree where the fowls of the air can have enjoyment on the limbs. You can have shade underneath it. What he's saying is he's saying, my kingdom will come. And so what is this last parable all about? It's about patience. It's about perseverance. Because Jesus is saying, my kingdom will come. My will is going to be done. And Mark ends this little portion here almost with some editorial comments that Jesus continued to speak in parables. And these parables were used to kind of sift the crowd. They would blind the eyes of those who did not believe. Now listen to me, that's one of the reasons why we don't make our services all like circuses. And I'm not saying that that in and of itself is wrong. But you and I ought to be able to come to church where we sing and we hear the Word of God preached and we hear the Word of God taught and we understand it. And those that are looking for this, and listen, this is who we are. We're just going to keep planting. We're going to keep planting. We're going to keep planting. And so Mark says, this is kind of, this is what we're doing. I'm going to, Jesus is going to continue to speak in parables. Let me ask you a question. Is this work worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep these doors open? Is it worth it to keep telling people about Jesus Christ? Is it worth it to by our form of air conditioning. Amen? It's not working that well today, I know. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. It is worth it. But you cannot have a gospel event mentality because you're planting seeds. And the minute you plant the seed of the gospel, we got to say, Lord, now it's up to you. How humbling is that? Instead, you want to know what I want to do? I want to go into every single one of your hearts this morning, and I want to open those up, and I want to just pour everything that God did in my heart this week into your life. But you know what I have to do? Lord, work. Lord, use your your word. Use the Holy Spirit some 2,000 years later to illuminate Jesus, illuminate the light, bring about the word of God, let it germinate in someone's life, and down the road, I've got to be okay with down the road, all of a sudden, boom, there's a sprout in their life of faith. So on and so forth. You and I, we've got to trust the Heavenly Father who is in complete control of the harvest. One of our little unremarkable group of people. I don't mean to say that you're not awesome, because you are, but in the grand scheme of things, we are small. You are one. You are a unit. You are a family. But think of those early disciples that Jesus says, hey, look at this mustard seed. You know what he's wanting to say? Hey, Redwood. Hey, people that are here this morning, other people are on vacation, that's great. I'm going to go on more this summer. It's awesome. Enjoy it. Don't feel guilty. Worship the Lord while you're away. Be in church. Listen to what God wants to do. God wants to take this little group of people right here, and God wants to stir them up 
so that they can see that, yeah, although I am small, although I am one, although I am one family, although I am one mouthpiece, although I am one gospel seed spreader, he is great. And he can take the collectiveness of this group and just like he did with the early disciples, can turn the world upside down. Be patient and persevere. Here's why. Because his will is going to be done. You and I, we've just got to trust him. Too confusing, God. Am I really going to know the answers? Yes, you will someday. And each and every day, if you continue to hear and you continue to learn and you continue to act, you will understand more. Is my work worth it? Yes. Because as you're planting little seeds, little mustard seeds, God is going to take those little things and he's going to explode that on a heavenly scale that you and I cannot see for his honor and for his glory. Let's be Redwood. Let's be our core values that I preached a couple weeks ago. Let's be who we were meant to be. Radical lovers of Jesus armed with a powerful, awesome gospel. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to ask the Lord.